Amen. You know, there are a lot of phrases as we look into Scripture, even into our common culture today that we hear, and, and sometimes we, we throw them around. You know, if you're from the South, uh, maybe you're always like, bless your heart. And, you know, we always joke about that being one of those phrases that can quickly uh, be a backhanded compliment. Or the cool pastors, it's a, a, one of the jokes that goes around is, oh, cool pastors say hashtag blessed. And we throw out that term. Or even right now, there's a popular song called The Blessing, and it actually comes, part of the song comes from this passage in Numbers chapter 6, where uh, it talks about the blessing that God is going to bestow upon, upon Israel. And as we look at these phrases or these statements, sometimes we can use a statement over and over again. And for those of you who are Princess Bride fans, maybe you remember there's a point in the movie where this one character, Inigo Montoya, looks and he says, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And that could potentially be the case here with this idea of blessing or that God has blessed us. And so as we look at this passage, it is often referred to as a blessing. There are a lot of blessings that have occurred and benedictions or the, the something that comes at the end that is reflecting a good word or a good pronouncement uh, from someone to other people. It's been used through church histories. Benedictions and blessings have. In fact, uh, you could go and Google a whole bunch of famous blessings. My personal favorite is the, the Irish blessing, not outside of Scripture, because I, I like this, this blessing a lot. But the Irish blessing where it says, May the rose rise up to meet you. May the wind be ever at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until we meet again, may the Lord hold you in the palm of your hand. Maybe that's because I heard my grandma say it. Maybe it's because if you hear it with that Irish accent, it sounds really cool. I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed this, this Irish blessing. But it's not scripture, and it can be used tritely and, and flippantly, and it's just sort of like this general greeting. But as we look at the blessing of scripture here in Numbers chapter 6, it's potent. It's loaded. Blessings and benedictions, to be honest— are not just a poem that Hobby Lobby decides to slap on a board, sell it to every Christian home in America that has a shiplap wall that's been inspired by Chip and Joanna. We have to move beyond just, okay, it's just this little trite phrase. Blessings in the scriptures, benedictions that come are, are really important. In fact, it's not simply a, a traditional thing. The scriptures use benedictions. The scriptures use blessings. Look, I mean, at the end of, Paul writes at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord, or Lord Jesus Christ. He is, this is a good pronouncement that he is giving to the church at Thessalonica. The author of Hebrews says the same thing. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor forever. Amen. One of the most famous ones that benedictions it's often used in, in Christian circles is found in Jude. Now unto him, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy to him only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. 
There are benedictions in the Scripture. We can't look and say, well, that's just a, a liturgical or traditional thing. There, there are evidence in Scripture. In fact, there are blessings that come about. Paul often uses them. All of these writings here from Paul, he starts out to the people he's writing in his greeting, but it's a blessing to them. And look at the there are similarities in all of it, and we're going to see those similarities come out in Numbers chapter 6 here in a moment. In all of them, he's going to talk about grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. He notices and he, he evidences. He's wishing to upon them. He's bestowing a blessing, a prayer to them saying, I want you to experience the grace and the peace that only comes from God. So, so please don't look at some of these passages and just look and say, well, they're just a, a liturgical thing. In fact, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27, it's called in theology called the Aaronic blessing. You can see here the Aaronic is the idea of from Aaron. In fact, we, why do we see that? Look, look in Numbers 22, or 6, verse 22 and 23. It says, the Lord spoke unto Moses. We know by now that that's a new section starting and God has given some, some more information. And Moses is to tell Aaron, speak unto Aaron and to his sons on this wise, or in this way, you shall bless the children of Israel. So God has told Aaron, this is how you are to bless. And this is what you are to do, what you are to say. And this is to be the model for which blessing occurs. And so this ironic blessing here is not simply a ritualistic word that is uttering meaningless denominational jargon. In other words, there's some depth to it. It's scripture. There's, this is from God. This is what God has said is, is going to be a part of the blessing that Aaron is to bestow to the children of Israel. So let's look at the context. It's always a, a good place to begin and to look. And I think to understand the, the, the full depth of this blessing, we need to look at the context. When we look at the context of this, this blessing, when we look here, we see that Israel is preparing for their arduous journey, but they have not begun yet. Remember, they're not going to start for a couple chapters here, the journey to the promised land. God is going to, before they go, before they face the difficulties, before they uh, face the, the task there of traveling, he's going to bless them. Nothing would have been more comforting for them. To know that the sovereign God is going to guarantee their safety, he's going to guarantee their watch care, he's going to say, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to bring you peace, it is going to be okay, you are, I am with you, you are mine. And so that blessing is an encouragement to them, it is a, a relief to know that in the, in the moment of turmoil or in the moment of moving, the, the uncertainty that may be coming, God's got our back. God is with us. They understood that. It's important to know, too, that it is not simply when they got into the difficult time that they were praying or thinking about God's blessing. God is saying, I'm going to bless you even before you get into the difficulties. We often want God's blessing when we find ourselves in the hard times. But God is already saying, before you even get there, I'm going to be blessing you. What, when we look at it, what will the people of God doubt in the wilderness? Think about it. They're ultimately going to doubt that God's purpose is to bless them. Well, he brought us out here to kill us. He brought us out here and we don't even have food to eat. Now they blame Moses, but ultimately in blaming Moses, they're blaming God. You know, there's no water to drink. Uh, it would have been better if we had better leadership when, instead of Moses and Aaron. And there's this constant distrust that God intended to bless them, that God had intended their goodness in their life. 
and they, they showed this distrust to God. But think about it. The God who does not lie, the God who is truth, he is, he is pronouncing blessing to them. If they could have grasped simply this concept, it would have been vastly different. If they would have grasped the concept that the God who does not lie is telling us that he is blessing us and he is taking us into the promised land and he is going to care and watch care over us, it wouldn't have been the wilderness wanderings. We'd have been talking about the short journey home from Sinai to the promised land. It would have been, okay, we're at Sinai, now we're going to go there. But we know that in the, in the process, there's that doubt of God's goodness. There is that doubt and distrust toward the one who says, I am here. I have comfort. I have strength. I have purpose for you. And so you have that general context of the book, but also think about the immediate context. The last couple chapters here, we, we get Numbers chapter 5 and 6, as we've studied over the last two weeks here. The, it, it really highlights a beautiful picture of the holiness of God. Chapter 5, if you remember back, it's when there is sin in the camp, when there is uh, uncleanness in the camp, we're going to remove it from the camp. It shows that picture of the separation from sin and uncleanness. And then you have chapter 6, where it talks about the highlight. Uh, it highlights the vows, the Nazarite vow, where it's somebody who has separated themselves, consecrated themselves to the Lord. What a beautiful picture of holiness. When we see that there is this holy living to be separated from sin and separated to God. And in that context, in the, the immediate context of as a nation, they have separated sin out of their camp. As individuals, they are consecrating themselves to God. Not all, but some, but that picture. And then comes this blessing from God. We think about that blessing, and we think about it even throughout the scriptures. The, the beauty of when we obey God, blessings. When we don't obey God, there's chastisement. In the Old Testament, it talks to obey the law is blessing, and to not, there's going to be cursing. But that follows through even the, the biblical principle throughout scriptures that there is chastisement, there is punishment, there is difficulties that occur when we do not obey God. Now, when we look at how this, this uh, blessing is, is composed, it starts off as this, this stream of God's blessing. It starts as a trickle, and then it ends as a flow that's even more strong. And what do I mean by that? The, you, we don't see it as much in the English text, but in the Hebrew text, verse 24 is just three words, and then it grows to five words, and then it grows to seven words, and even the syllables are laid out beautifully. It's just this poetic masterpiece that just shows the intensifying of God's blessing. It gets stronger and stronger, and, and God wants to continually bless us. But even that, it should be noted that when we look at the blessing, it first starts, the first part starts with the movement of God, that he's going to initiate blessing, that he's going to make his face to shine upon us, that he's going to lift up his face or lift up his countenance. There is movement by God. And then the second half of those verses show an action of God as he, he moves toward his people or he does something toward them that he's going to keep them, that he is going to be gracious to them, that he is going to give them peace. And so, so God is moving and acting on behalf of his people, showing them and granting to them blessings in their life. So why would he do that? Why, what motivated God to want to bless his people? 
you see that throughout this blessing, it's often seen, we often think of it quickly as a petition or a prayer. But it should be noted that it is originally given not as a prayer, but as a blessing. Now, it became more of a prayer, and it makes sense for us as inferiors to the superior to say, we can't look and say, God, I demand your blessing. But we can be asking and petitioning and, and asking God to grant us his blessing in our life. This is a pronouncement of God's favor upon his people. And the benediction that we see here is going to expound that God is giving to them his grace, his love, his kindness, his care, his protection. I think it's important for us to note that God did not command Israel to have a giant prayer meeting before they they started on their journey. Now that would have not been wrong. If God would have said, or if Aaron would have said, hey, let's get together and pray for safety and let's pray for, for wisdom as we go, I think it's important and we need to really highlight the importance of intercessory prayer and supplicating, bring our petitions to God. But God's just looking and saying, I'm going to bless my people, the ones who have been living holy, the ones who are separated to me, the ones who are separated from sin, and he's going to bless them in this passage. But why does God grant blessing? Because he is the source of blessing. He can do it. He can grant it because he is the only one who can grant us true, genuine blessing. He is the only one who is capable of blessing his people. He is the alone, is the source of the only blessing that is worth having. Let let those sink in for a moment. He alone is capable of giving us true blessing. He alone is the source of the only blessing that really matters in our life. Notice in this passage, go down to verse 24. Notice how it starts. The Lord bless thee. Verse 25, the Lord make his face. Verse 26, the Lord. We see that explicitly stated three times. The second half it's of those verses, it's implicitly implied that the Lord is going to do, um, that he's going to keep thee, that the Lord is going to be gracious, that the Lord is going to be the one who is going to give peace. And then notice even in verse 27, it talks about the Lord is going to um, bless them. He says, I will bless It's not Aaron is going to, it's not Moses. He says, I will be the one because God is the one who is capable and God is the only source of true, genuine blessing. You notice he says, I'm going to put my name on them. They will put their name. How are we going to identify with God? We're going to see that in a minute. But he says, I will bless my name. When we look at it, think about it in this realm. God is the giver of blessing. God is the source of blessing. Nothing, nothing that he doesn't give to us do we need. It's hard to let that sink in. But nothing that he doesn't give to us, what I don't have, what I might covet, what I might be jealous of, if he doesn't grant that to me, he's saying my best for you, my blessing, my goodness to you is that you don't need that. What he does give to us is all we need. That contentment that Paul talks about, the sufficiency of God and of Christ, they're all we need. What he provides for us, what he gives to us. And so it becomes a prayer of God, give me what I need. When you look back at Israel's grumbling and distrust in the book of Numbers, when they complain, when they wander away, If they would have just understood this truth, 
Again, how different would the book of Numbers have been? To know that he is the one who's giving them what they need and what they don't need, he, he knows their needs. He's saying, what I'm not giving you, you don't need that right now. God is the giver, the source. He grants us what we need on a daily basis. Now, lest we just cast stones at Israel, let's be careful that we don't become like Israel. Would not the story of our lives often be different if we understood that God is the only one who gives the only blessing worth having? Having Nothing worth having does he withhold from us. He knows what we need. He's granted to us what we do need. He gives it to us. Everything we need, he gives. But we go through life so often looking for life and satisfaction and that it's going to come through pleasure, through possessions, through popularity, that life and satisfaction are going to come from fill in the blank. Life and satisfaction come through God and what God grants to us in our lives. Not what I think art wants. I like being sovereign in my life. And I don't think I'm the only one. And yet I have to relinquish control to God. To look and to say that as we run around, we're constantly running around trying to stuff our hearts full of life and satisfaction from somewhere other than from the blessings of our almighty God. If we, not just Israel, if we could understand that God is the giver, that God is the source, that he is the author and the only blessing worth having, only God can fill us up. It would dramatically change our lives, even our perspective on everything that's happening around us today. God is in control and God knows what we need and what we don't need. He is the source of joy and blessing and satisfaction and fulfillment. But I have to find it in him, not in everything else in this world. The Lord blesses us and no one can take that away. In fact, if you remember later on in the book of Numbers, as we'll eventually get there, there's an individual, a prophet who is hired by the name of Balaam, who is, who is asked to steal the blessing, to rob it away from Israel, to curse them and to take the blessing of God off of them. And he is unable to do it because no one can take God's blessing. What God grants and gives to us, that is what he allows. No one can take it away from us. No one can rob the, the Lord's blessing off of his people. In fact, there's, a, there's an interesting account that occurs back in the 70s. Some of you are very familiar. I love this song. Edelweiss is one of my favorite songs to just sing on and play with the guitar. But in the 70s, when it was really popular right after the Sound of Music came out, a couple denominational churches, somebody wrote a benediction to sing at the end of, end of a song or at the end of a service. And it, you can go ahead. I'm not going to do it because it would be copyright infringement for me to sing this song. But these are the, these are the verses or the words that they wrote to this song to the tune of Edelweiss. Well, it became extremely popular in a number of churches, so much so that eventually what happened was Rogers, Richard Rogers of Rogers and Hammerstein uh, began to write those churches and tell them, uh, I'm going to be suing you if you do not stop using this benediction and blessing. In fact, he said that, he said, I will never grant the opportunity or the right for uh, churches to be able to use this because he said the words 
of Richard Rogers and Edelweiss and the music of Roger uh, of Hammerstein, they go together. We do not separate them, and I will not grant that. And so he took away this this blessing so that churches couldn't use it. But nobody, nobody is able to take away God's blessings from our life. When God says, I have your back, when God says, I give you what you need, when God says, I keep you and I watch over you and I am comforting you and I am blessing you, no one can take that away from us. That is what God has granted to us. So what is the content of this blessing? We're talking all all about it. What is the content of the blessing? When we look at this blessing, we learn that God's blessing here demonstrates corporate and personal care. Notice in verse 24 with me. It says, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. That's singular. In fact, when you look through these these aspects, he's talking to you individually. But remember at the beginning, who is he talking to? On this wise, you shall bless the children of Israel. And then at the end in verse 27, he says, I will put my name on the children of Israel. So you have the nation as a whole, and yet you have this singular focus on each person. When we look at God's blessing corporately and individually, we look at how is God blessing us through COVID-19. We start to say, you know what, it's easy for us to become so centered upon ourselves, especially in the midst of difficult trials, and to forget that there is a bigger picture, a bigger story going on, and that God is concerned for the total well-being of all of his people. I just, what about me? What about me? What about me? But looking and saying, God has a bigger plan. God has a bigger picture. I want to see God bless our church. I want to see God bless our nation. And yes, I would like to experience personally the blessings of God, but that's not where it ends. It can't end there. What blessings, as we think about it, as you think about it and dwell on this, what blessings has God brought about because of the pandemic? Maybe it's more time with family. Maybe it's more time in the word of God. Maybe it's the opportunity to listen to more messages. Maybe it's the opportunity that you've got to know some of your neighbors now because of this, and you have an opportunity to build a relationship. Rather than us just focusing on what we want, let's look and let's start saying, how is God blessing through this time period? What blessing? I mean, it's a hard one. I'm wrestling with this, you know, and I don't think I'm the only one. What blessing is God bestowing on us right now? because we are not going to, to meet together for the next two weeks. What, what, what blessing? What, what does God have for us during this time? Let's look for the blessings rather than just act like the children of Israel and grumble and complain. We can easily, I can easily fall into the mode of the children of Israel. What blessings does God have through these difficult times? But look, at, look a little bit more about the blessing. It is personal and corporate. I want God's blessing for our church. And that also means that I have a responsibility. And if I want God's blessing, remember the context. I have to be separating from sin and I have to be separating and consecrating to God. And we individually are doing that. We're repenting from sin. We're getting right with God and we're making sure that we are holy before him so that as he blesses us, he is blessing our church and that we ask for the prayers and the blessings of our church. But look at, look at a little bit further. God's blessing demonstrates care and protection of his people. In verse 24, as we, as we look at God's blessing, it says, the Lord bless you. This is not a vague term. 
This is not just simply a term that has the idea of, well, I I just really don't know what it means, but I'm going to throw it out. It is encompassing in general, but it is certain and specific. The blessing is indicating that God cared for his people. Every single Israelite would have understood that when they hear about the blessing of God, that it entailed children and property in a safe land. They, they knew that it pro- was promised by God. They knew that it included health and well-being. It meant that God was near in all of their, their parts of life, the good, the bad, the, the, the tumultuous, the troublesome times. They understood that it meant God was encompassing in all of that, and he was present, and he was there. We want to see that. We know that and ultimately what it means is that God is caring for them. But he also says, not only am I caring for you, I am keeping you. The, the word here has that idea of guarding or protecting his people, that he is going with them. As they get ready to start on a journey, he's with them. As they go through the tumultuous times when, when nations come up behind them and start to attack, God was with them. When they start looking from Kadesh and they send spies into the land and they come back, God was still with them. But they chose not to trust that God was guarding and God was protecting and God was caring for them. It is a promise, it is a pledge that God will guard and God will protect you, that he will be with them. And even through our tumultuous times here, God is still with us. He has not forsaken us. He has not left us alone. He is still protecting, he's still guarding. He is to watch care over us. This theme comes out through Daniel, where the, the individual Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel in the lion's den, them in the, the fiery furnace, that God watches, that God keeps, that God guards, that he protects over them. It goes on a little bit further in verse 25. It says, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That God's blessings demonstrate delight and forgiveness. The delight, the Lord make his face to to shine upon you. It is that picture that you see when there's a delight of God toward the faithful people. Or you've seen it. You see it when the grandparent sees the grandchild that they haven't seen in maybe years, months, the, the way the face lights up. It, it shines, it radiates, it beams. Or the, the parent who for the first time holds their child and there's just this overwhelming joy on the face. That is the delight that the Lord is showing to his people to his faithful followers, he looks and his face radiates. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, they understood this just weeks prior. You have Moses. Moses is coming down from the mountain and his face is shining. Why? Because he experienced the favor and the approval and the affirmation and the encouragement and the pleasure and the communion with the living God. And as he spent time with God and he was near to God, his face, even the, the, the shining of the face of God upon Moses showed great delight. God delighted in him. And then you get to the second half of the verse, and it says that there is to be grace, that there is forgiveness, that there is favor shown, that he is to be gracious to thee. It's showing favor in the form of a benefit, uh, beneficial or kind action. It's from the superior to the inferior. The inferior has no claim to the superior. I can't look at God and say, you be gracious to me. But rather it is God in his wisdom and his sovereignty and his superiority. He looks and says, I am granting grace to you. I am going to withhold what you deserve. I am going to give you what you do not deserve. 
Think about it. The first half of the verse, I, I love the, the picturesque aspect nature of this verse. The, the shining of the face, we saw Moses. Think about the second half of this verse, the grace, the forgiveness of God. God being gracious, forgiving, kind, and forbearing. You might look, oh, I, I don't really know about that. But what happened just weeks prior as well was the golden calf. And who led that? It was Aaron. And not only was it Aaron as he did that, but he is the one now who is, what is he to declare? Who's the one who's giving this blessing? Remember, it's called the Aaronic blessing. Aaron is the one who is going to stand up. It's almost as if God is going to say, I want you to stand up and I want you to be exhibit A to these people. I want Aaron to come from your mouth to them that God is gracious, that God is forgiving, that he is forbearing, that he is kind. Because Aaron is the one now standing up and all of the people remember what happened weeks prior. And yet here stands Aaron after that wicked sin, after obviously repenting to God, God says, I've forgiven, and I'm still going to use. What a blessing of God to know that he graciously cares and forgives us, to know that he is patient, that he is long-suffering. Aaron is able to stand up as exhibit A and say, God forgives, God forbears. Not only is he gracious, not only is he kind, but God's blessing demonstrates his watchfulness and generosity. Look in verse 26. Verse 26 says, The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. He looks and, and the idea is now the lifting up of the countenance, the lifting up of the face. It's opposite. As he elevates the head, it's opposite of what happens with Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Remember, there is the falling of the countenance. There is, it's, this is a difference here. This is God lifting up his face. He's looking at his faithful people. He's looking at his holy nation and he's lifting up his countenance. And the blessing of God is he sees us faithful and he lo- lifts up. He is watching us. It's that picture of, of the dad who's at the table and he's reading and reading and reading, whether it's on his phone or reading the, the Wall Street Journal and the son is sitting there like, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad, hey dad. Hey, hey, Dad, I, I, I want to tell you, I want to show you, I want to show you. And the, the, the child just sits there and he feels neglected until he knows. When the father sets it down, he looks, he lifts up his countenance. He looks at his son and he eye to eye watches him. And then the child is realizing, wait, I am important. I am meaningful to Dad. And what does God say he's doing? What does the blessing entail that God is watching, that God is looking, that he sees? He sees our infirmities. He sees our trouble. He sees our tumultuous times. He sees if I've got COVID or if I, if I don't. He sees my friends who are going through illnesses and battles and disease. He understands, he's watching and he well knows what we need because he is the giver. He is the source. He gives us what we need. He withholds from us what we don't need. He is wise and he is God. He is the blessing one. He is generous. He says, I'm watching you. He's generous. That word, the idea of peace, the shalom. He is going to, it's not just simply, okay, hostility's done, warfare's gone, and it's just going to be easy peasy, you know, nice, no problems, easy in life. But rather, it's God's presence 
in life that leads to shalom. It is knowing that God is there and he is generously giving to us the peace that brings about the fullness of life, the wholeness in every area of life, whether it be society, whether it be in our workplace, whether it be in just our, um, our friendships, our relationships. God's whole peace, knowing that he cares, knowing that he is granting to us a satisfaction that only comes from him, allows us to go into all these different areas of life. But ultimately, where does peace come from? Peace comes from the Prince of Peace. You can't get away from the fact that the ultimate blessing that God bestows in peace comes from the Prince of Peace. Think about it. Christ, instead of being the recipient of the Lord's blessing, becomes the object of the Lord's curse. He takes that upon himself. Rather than being protected, hell's fury is unleashed upon Jesus Christ. Why? Because of our sinfulness. Instead of seeing God's delight shining down upon him, the the Father is going to turn his face away. The Prince of Peace takes that upon us so that we can experience the ultimate blessing of God that we can have peace with God, that we will no longer be an enemy of God to those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Rather than knowing the gracious forgiveness of God, Christ experienced the full penalty and the weight of our sin by himself. He takes it all upon. Why? So that we can experience the blessing of peace with God in all areas of life. Rather than knowing the Father's eyes are on him, Jesus is going to have to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, we know that God ultimately does not. He remembers him. But he does that in doing this, in doing all of that, in taking that upon himself. Christ guarantees the fullness of blessing upon all who trust in him. How do we, I'm not not a Jew living back under Aaron, under Moses, How do I experience the fullness and the blessing of God? It starts through relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts in him because he took upon himself all of the penalties. He took upon himself all of the sin of my life, of your life. He takes upon it. He understands that it was worth it. He undergoes God's wrath for us. He He takes the peace as a precious blessing. And it is for us. But remember, it's a very costly one as well. And so as I go into life, as I think about God's grace and God's peace in my life that has been offered to me, a sinful wretch who has rebelled against God, I am able to be and experience the blessing of peace in my life because of Jesus Christ. But to experience the fullness of God's blessing, we must have a relationship and an identity with God. There has to be a relationship. How is that relationship? If I am an enemy of God, how is that relationship restored? It is through identifying with Jesus Christ. It is putting my faith and trust through salvation in Christ alone. That he is the source of all good things. That he is the one who is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And so my relationship and my identity with God is only through Jesus Christ. 
notice how he, he gives this condition of the blessing. How are they going to identify who the children of Israel are? He says, I shall put my name upon the children of Israel. It shows identity, ownership. Why do you put your name on your books? Why do you put your name on your tools? It's so that people can identify whose tool it is. But it's also so that you can claim that it is yours. And that is what happens when the name, they put their name upon the children of Israel. God is saying, they are mine. I am, they are identifying with me and I am claiming ownership of them. What a blessing. And what a guarantee to a blessing to know that my father cares for me, that he watches over me. I've put my name, God is saying, on them and my blessing upon him. That's how you're going to know that they are my people. What does this blessing show us about God? He is, he is the eternal God. He is the faithful God. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. And so as I have this peace with him, and I have this relationship with him, and I have identified with God, how does he bless? What does he have for me? What do I learn from this? I learn that my God is this. He is a beautiful giver. He wants to grant blessings in our life. He wants me to be faithful and separated unto him and separated from sinfulness and uncleanness. He is a beautiful and bountiful giver of all that I need. He is a strong protector. He guards. He watches. He goes before. He cares when I don't even know what is happening. He is there. He is a faithful friend. He goes alongside he grants blessing. He bestows kindness. He is there when maybe no one else is. He is that faithful friend. He is a forgiving father. He is gracious. He is forbearing. He loves. He knows that I have failed, and yet in my failures, he forgives. He is a reliable partner. I know that wherever I go, whatever I face, that whatever God allows into my life, he's there. And I can trust him, and I know that he has my back. We, we see that in crime dramas, and we hear about it with police, you know, on TV all the time, that I know my partner's got my back. They're reliable. Even more than any partner we could have here on earth, God is reliable. And he's a generous provider. If we look at that list and we think about it this week, in light of everything we face, in light of all the difficulties that occur, to know that God is blessing us, that God is there for us, that he cares. If we would understand it, truly, it would change everything. It would change my perspective, what I live for, what my satisfactions will be. It would change my attitude of contentment. It would change my, my perspective on a lot of the pandemic things that are happening. Knowing that God is in control and I have to relinquish to him control. Saying, it's you, God. And God, I want to see your blessing not only in my life, but in the lives of all around us. I love how Dwight L. Moody summed up this passage. He said this. He said, It is the speech of God. Every letter may conclude with it. Every day may begin with it. And every night may be sanctified by it. He doesn't say you have to do this. 
But he's like, man, this is so potent. This is so powerful. Understanding who our God is and what he grants to us that he said it should be part of our everyday life. It doesn't start as a prayer, but it has become a prayer for many people. But I would encourage us, even as we think about it as a prayer, not just a selfish prayer, not just Lord bless me and give me what I want, but Lord, would you grant blessing? Would you bless our church family? Lord, would you bless the individuals who I see on a weekly basis in our church? Lord, would you bless my friends? You know, as we close and we think about, especially as a church body, about the roller coaster of events that the Lord has sovereignly allowed into our lives over the last weeks sickness, death, babies, weddings, joys, sorrows. We look at all of that and we know that God is in control and that God is blessing through all of those. But I think it would be appropriate. We don't, we don't normally do something like this. But can we close in a unique way today? Although this was not initially a prayer, the priests used it as a prayer for the people. And can we do that? As we close today, one voice from all over our county Unified together as a church, as a family of believers, praying for God's blessing. Not selfishly for me, but God, we want this blessing. We want you to bless our church. Lord, I want you to bless our pastor. Lord, I want you to bless our deacons. Lord, I want you to bless the individuals who are across the pew, the aisle from me. Lord, we want your blessing not as a trite statement, not as just a vain repetition, but as a genuine prayer to God, as a benediction to this message, would you join with me in praying, genuinely praying, whether it's in your heart or out loud in your home right now? Would you genuinely pray with me the words that God gave to Aaron to bless the people of Israel, that we might bless and ask for God's blessing upon our church, upon our nation. Would you pray with me those words of Numbers chapter six? Let's pray together as we close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen.